John Stott writes, and I'll just read the quote, is when we look at the cross, we see the justice, love, wisdom, and power of God. It is not easy to decide which is the most luminously revealed, whether the justice of God in judging sin, or the love of God in bearing the judgment in our place, or the wisdom of God in perfectly combining the two, or the power of God in saving those who believe. For the cross is equally an act, and therefore a demonstration of God's justice, love, wisdom, and power. The cross assures us that this God is the reality within, behind, and beyond the universe. The past few weeks we have... Yeah, get out of um, I'm going to start preaching. Uh, the past few weeks we've been talking about moving toward God. And we have learned to celebrate the love and care God extends toward us. And yet in Scripture... As you look at that, we are, we are made aware, coming to an understanding that there is a, a power and an anger and a justice of God. Read with me in Exodus 34, starting in verse 5. It says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. This week, as I studied and read commentaries and sermons about the justice of God, I found people kind of migrating in two different directions. There were those who were apologetic. Yes, yes, God is love. God is love. Now there is this thing about, you know, his, his, his justice, you know, but, but, but he's a God of love. Then there were those on the other side uh, that were uh, basically trumpeting the truth of the battle hymn of the Republic. He is trampling out the souls of men before his judgment seat. Now, so I thought, what, what do I say to you about God and, and justice? I believe in God. I believe you believe in God. Or you wouldn't be here. I seek to live by his book, the Bible. I feel like that's how you live as well, because you're here and you're opening the book. I read there that he has a way he wants honored. A way by which he will judge the actions of each person. He calls it his law. Now we get all hung up about do this, don't do that, the, the thou's and the thou shalt nots. And the, and all that. It's his way, and he calls it his law. Critics cite examples. <clears throat> and I've had this discussion recently about God's unfairness, his cruelty, and his outright genocide in the Bible. And I said, how do I reconcile that with the idea of God's justice and God's love, and how, how do I do that? And I go back to that Exodus 34 chapter, that text, and what I see is not a capricious God doing just things willy-nilly or just at random, throwing his weight around, but a righteous God desiring to show love 
And yet refusing to be disobeyed according to this law that he has, and holding all people accountable to that law by their actions and choices. That is not popular with many. In essence, they would challenge that by saying, well, who does this God think he is? I don't want to believe in a God who you know, does this or allows this or goes here or there. By way of an answer, I had to think about that. By way of an answer, it is my belief that he is the creator of all that we know as our existence. Having said that, I also believe that he is the authority or ruler over all that we know as law. Let me take you through some examples. Throw a few of them up there on the screen there. In laws of nature, the God I believe in can command a universal flood and part the seas. He can alter the normal order of things by miracles. In laws of society, he can change the rulers of kingdoms as they exist. He can take one and lift them up. He can take one and take them down. He can take a pharaoh and defeat him in ten rounds. He can also lift up a king, you know, to rule over his people who is a lowly shepherd. In laws of legal commands or statutes, he can and he does hold all people accountable to the laws that if you don't worship me and count me as holy, I will punish you. But even in that, he can punish his own people as much as those around them. And that demonstrates to me this an amazing equity of justice. It's not that my people get protected and your people don't. It's that everybody's accountable. And laws of the heart, and I think this is the most important. In laws of the heart, he provides the whole of mankind, every person in the world, with an answer to avoiding such doom by entering the arena of our existence with a gift so precious to himself, that of his only son, that he comes to offer, and the word is propitiation. Propitiation is one of those $10 theological words that simply means to appease the wrath of a righteous God. He offers the sacrifice that is called for, and he does it by his own son. The sacrifice on a cruel form of capital punishment devised by evil men called a cross. So God proves to me that he is larger than my limitations. That he is more loving than beyond my self-focused ability to explain or understand. He is fair beyond my understanding. And quite frankly, he is the better answer than any objections that are raised by doubters or scoffers or critics or unbelievers. I want to start today by talking about God and justice this way. He is God. Amen? He is God. That doesn't change. He is God. He rewards those of us who choose to put our faith in Him. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. It says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists, and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. That book that you have is not a battleground. It is a testament of faith. We choose. If we choose the God of the Bible, 
then we follow the God of the Bible. We do the words of the Bible and we believe those words to be the ones that offer us the promises and the rewards for earnestly seeking God by his word, his way, his will, his law. But he also punishes. He punishes those who do not believe in him. Those who disobey him. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 8 and 9. He says he will punish those who do not know God. And do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction. And shut out from the presence of the Lord. And from the glory of his might. Which puts us in a predicament, you will. Because knowing that there is a God who is holy and powerful and just, we realize that we haven't been real faithful to that. In fact, we've pretty much done what we wanted to and thumbed our nose at God. Like, do this, what are you going to do about it? It's that look that people say like, well, I don't see it that way. Or I don't think that's going to matter. Or this is not what, you know, the way I interpret it. We have sinned against his law. That is the universal understanding of the whole book. God is just, he is right, holy, and pure, and we are not. And as such then, we are sinners. John Piper summarizes it this way. What is sin, he writes? It is the glory of God, not honored. The, holiest, the holiness of God not reverenced. The greatness of God not admired. The power of God not praised. The truth of God not sought. The wisdom of God not esteemed. The beauty of God not treasured. The goodness of God not savored. The faithfulness of God not trusted. The commandments of God not obeyed. The justice of God not respected. The wrath of God not feared, the grace of God not cherished, the presence of God not prized, the person of God not loved. That is sin. <coughs> now, having said that he is God, the next thing I want us to understand that he is just. <coughs> Justice is God's fair and impartial treatment of all people. <coughs> Excuse me. He communicates his law. He expects obedience. He punishes the guilty. He saves the righteous. According to his deity, power, and law, I want to step you through several scriptures. If you look at the board, you can write them down, read them as we go. You can read them later if you like. But I'll read them and listen to the theme that runs through them. God is just. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. God does not show favoritism and acts impartially. Isaiah 30, verse 18. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up and show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. Psalm 50, verse 6. And the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Revelation 16, verse 7. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. 
God is just. He is the judge. He calls us to account before him. The next thing I want you to know that while being just, he will decide. The Bible warns that evil men do not understand justice in Proverbs 28 and verse 5. And yet God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world. Again, write the scriptures down because they form a theme. Okay? We'll take you from basically all the way through after the crucifixion of Christ and his resurrection in Acts chapter 17 and verse 30. It says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Matthew 12 and verse 36. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and cast them into the furnace of fire. Hebrews 9 and verse 27. It is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. 1 Peter 4 and verse 5. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 through 17. Apostle John expresses it this way. He writes, the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Revelation 20, verses 11 to 13. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away. And there was found no place for them, and I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works. God is just, and the judgment day is coming. We are sinners, standing opposed to God, because we have not kept His law. We have not walked in His way. But here's the good news. He offers righteousness. Jesus is his solution. Jesus is our salvation. If you're a person of faith, at some point you had to come to a conclusion. Not that God existed to make you a better you. Because you're a wreck. Let's face that. You're a wreck. You are a person who can't make a good decision consistently over periods of time without doing something that is selfish, unkind, cruel, or just downright wrong. I know because I am one. But having said that, we must conclude that we are unable to be the glory, the holiness, righteousness of God on our own. We are unable. So that leaves us with a desire to make the world a better place. A longing for us to be better people. Or somehow for God to lead us through all of this wrongness 
to know a way that's right and good and true. God offers his love, his mercy, and forgiveness because he will make us his righteousness. Isn't that good news? He will forgive our sins. He will offer us his love and his mercy. Because to oppose a God that is so powerful that he want, that people want the mountains to fall on them, to oppose a God who, has, who can part the seas and flood the earth and do all these things to a God like that, when we see that kind of God to oppose him is sheer folly and foolishness. Am I right? So, how does he do that? He does that from the cross of Christ. Colossians chapter 2. Verses 13 and 14. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Do you see how important the cross becomes to us then? It is the place where we come to meet God and He does for us what we are unable to do for ourselves. And we walk away, not a better person, a different person. But to do that, we must prepare. Amos chapter 4 and verse 12. Amos has this haunting question. Prepare to meet your God. I say question because... Amos actually was warning them, prepare to meet your God, period. I'd like to ask you today, are you prepared to meet God? Are you prepared to meet God? Without Jesus Christ, you're not prepared. Without a faith in God, you're not prepared. So what is it that we can do to prepare to meet our God? We must, by faith or in faith, repent of our sins. Jesus said in Luke 13 and verse 3, Repent. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. I get this idea that there's two choices. There's life with Jesus and there's... The wrath of God. Unless we repent. What do you mean by that? We must stop opposing God and His law. His way, His will. Whatever word you want to put in there that says it's God's world, His rules, His will, His promises. It's all about God. You have to stop opposing that. Turn from that. We must, in faith, allow God to make you holy. We can't do that on our own. It's why the whole of the sacrificial system was set up there for his people in the book of Leviticus and Exodus. All these sacrifices because he says, God says, you can approach me, but you can't do that like you are. You have to bring something that atones for the way you live and something that replaces you so that you can stand before me. And I don't see your sin. I see the blood of your sacrifice. I know that you gave up something precious to you so that you would want to stand in my presence 
pure and forgiven. The cross of Christ is our altar then. It is the place where God offered the blood of His Son so that He looks at us through that. And as we then come back to that in Acts 22 and verse 16, Ananias tells Paul, he says, And why do you tarry now? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. So what we're doing there is we're embracing the grace of God. We are, in essence, becoming the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Meeting God at the cross. And Him washing away our sins. Because we have surrendered to Him and Him making us holy. When we put on Christ, Galatians 3 verse 27 says. For all of you that have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And so we become holy in His sight. Sanctified is the word. We are set apart for holy purposes. When we accept the forgiveness of God, His mercy through Jesus Christ. And then we must, by faith, live as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In verses 17 through 21, it's a lengthy reading, but it's, 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 it's so good for us to hear. Because those people who have come to God in faith... Those people who have repented of sin and stopped opposing God, who have allowed Him to make them holy by washing away their sins in baptism, those people then are what? Well, you know, it's not enough just to be. We have to become. And so, let's listen carefully. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. And look at that last line. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the whole point of the justice of God. It's to make us right. We can't do that on our own. But by being reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, we become, by God's grace, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? That's who we are. We stand, and here's the word, justified before God based on the salvation of Jesus Christ that we have embraced in our lives. God will judge the world by His law. His world, His way, His law. But for those who are faithful, who are His righteousness in Jesus Christ, 
All of the promises, all the rewards are ours. And that's good news. Yes? That's good news. So I'm not afraid of the justice of God. I seek to know His will. I believe in His power. I understand His judgment. But I want to stand before Him, Jesus as my advocate, my Savior, my friend. And I would love to hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter therefore into your Master's rest. Wouldn't that be a great thing to hear? I want you to hear that. I want to hear that. I want us to stand there and hear that together. And so God's invitation is to you today. Knowing the justice of God, knowing what is available to us through the cross where we are justified, knowing that we can do that and we become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, what do you need to do today to prepare to meet your God? You may need to be baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, for He washes them away. You may need to repent of sin as someone who has thumbed your nose at God as His child and needs to come back and repent and pray. Maybe you're here today and we can help you through something as we prayed, as we started our sermon. That this is good news we can share with someone else. Maybe there's a situation you face that we can minister to you. Whatever your need might be, come to the front and make your need known. Together we stop and as we sing.